So as many of you know, we're in our FBI series today, or continuing that. We're looking at these Old Testament stories that maybe many of us have heard when we were kids, or maybe they're stories that some of us have just have never heard anymore. It's part of the reason why we're doing this, because there's lots of people that just, they don't know these stories, and so we talk about them, and they, they don't know what they are. But I'm also one of those guys that I like to read the Old Testament a lot. I, I like to, I read... Like if I pick up a Bible, a lot of times I start in the Old Testament or I start reading these things. And I read these stories because actually they make me feel good because I read about these people and I go, how, these guys are always screwing up. These guys are just like, how dumb can you be? And, bec- and the reason I say that is because these are people, they actually heard God's voice. They saw things that, like we don't see things anymore. We don't see this this pillar of this cloud and this cloud of fire and God ascend upon a mountain and God doesn't like just, oh, I'm hungry and he gives us food or I'm thirsty and rock, water comes out of a rock. We just don't see those things anymore. But yet these people still continue to just fall away from God, to just abandon God and go follow their own stuff and they keep screwing up and messing up and stumbling and, and falling away. And, you know, doesn't it make us feel better sometimes when we make fun of people? Well, at least it does me sometimes. It's kind of sin, our sinful nature. But I, it's easy to make fun of these people. And it makes me feel better. But it also makes me go of like, you know what? When I screw up in my life and I fail to see this, these, I sit, fail to see God in my life or I, I kind of get distracted from God, take my eyes off of him, that I'm not alone in that. That this really has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. That it's, that it's normal. It's part, of, it's part of being who we are. And today is no different. This story that we'll see, we're going to see the Israelites are screwing up again. They, uh, we're going to see a miraculous birth. We're going to see uh, a battle, or, or we're going to have a, something between the Israelites and the Philistines again. Philistines are a common foe that they, that they battle. And if you were here early enough to see the slide, or I guess there's a slide here, you know who we're talking about. We're talking about Samson. Samson is who we're going to look about today. And when I mention the word Samson... Those of you that know the story, probably one of the things that come to his mind is his great strength. He was strong. Somebody else that's a word is, is Delilah. Sure, that's another name that you know. And then there's also this thing about his hair. There's this thing about his hair. So I asked this question, is it his hair? Was it his hair? Was it his hair that, that, that gives him this strength? Because if you know the story, you'll know that his hair, they cut his hair and the strength leaves him. So I just asked that question. Was it really the hair? What if I, what if I said this, that I don't think Samson was really that strong at all. I don't think he was a strong guy. And in fact, I think Samson was a lot like every one of us in this room. He's, there was nothing really that much different from him. And Samson, if you, when I really started to look at his life this, this last week, it's, I go, I was scratching my head, I'm going, Man, this guy's a knucklehead. This guy, because he just seems like he's just oblivious to the choices that he makes in his life. He's just oblivious to, to what God has planned for him. He seems to be very, very impulsive. He has this impulsive behavior. He, he lives life based on his emotions. It seems like his emotions just guide him and that he really doesn't have a lot of self-control. Now, the story that we're going to look at 
The story of Samson is in this book called Judges. And there's, it's a long chapter, chapters 13 through 16. Hopefully you guys, if you do your devos, you'll read all of it this week. But the first verse tells us, as I said, the Israelites. It says, Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Philistines. So here we see the Israelites are doing evil. They're not paying attention to God. And, well, the Philistines are going to enter into your life. Now, there's another part of this where we see an angel coming to a woman. It's been, she's, she's been unable to give birth to a child. The angel tells her that you're going to give birth to a child and he's going to be a Nazarite. I want us to look at verse 5. Verse 5 of chapter 13. It says, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And his hair must never cut, be cut. For he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. We, he will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. We, if you notice, this hair was separated out of this again too. It, it, he says there's going to be a Nazarite, but they also talk about his hair. So maybe the hair was the secret. Maybe that's the secret sauce for, for his strength. Now, being a Nazarite, we probably need to cover that and, and tell you what a Nazarite is, because that's something we really don't do these days, and we don't really know what that is. Being a Nazarite is found in num the book of Numbers. It's Numbers chapter 6, actually, I believe. And to be a Nazarite, you took this vow. You took this vow to be dedicated to God. When you took this vow, you yield yourself completely to God. I'll say that again. You yield yourself completely to God. Keep that in your mind of, and as we look at Samson's life and how he lived his life. If, he was, if you think he was really completely to yielding to God. Now, this vow is voluntary. You're going to ask, well, Samson wasn't born yet. How can this vow be voluntary? In the Bible, there's a couple people that have been Nazarites that were from birth. Samuel is another one of them that was, that was from birth. He was dedicated to be a, a Nazarite. John the Baptist was another one that was from birth. He was supposed to be. So his parents, actually in this case, an angel came and told the parents, and God said he was going to be this, and so by the actions of the parents, he was to be a Nazarite from birth. <clears throat> now this vow to be a Nazarite, it was for men and women. It didn't, you didn't have to be something special or, or any kind of anything to be. You could be a man or a woman. Anybody could do it. And this vow was also for a specific time. So there was a time frame associated with it. And with anything, vows have guidelines and restrictions. With this, restri with the being a vow of being in a Nazareth, you had to abstain from wine or any fermented drink. In fact, you couldn't even drink grape juice. You couldn't eat grapes or raisins or even the seeds or the skins. Now, last service, we had some brave people that said, who eats grape nuts? Cereal, yeah. Less brave people in here because those things are nasty. Like, why, why, why even eat those things? But, <sighs> Jim, you're a sick man. Sick. They're nasty little things. But you can see they've been drink eating those things for thousands of years also. And they're they're I I don't even know why. But so also as I mentioned, a Nazarite is a person you're not supposed to cut your hair. You can't cut your hair. In a Nazarite, that this is something that's important too, is you, you can't go near anywhere near a dead body. You can't go anywhere near a body. Even if it's your own family member, you're not supposed to go near the dead body. Now, at the completion of this vow, because I said it was for a certain period of time, after the completion of this, a sacrifice was made. So the person's hair would be cut off, 
they'd place it on the altar, and then the priest would, would finish this sacrificial ceremony, and the, and the vow would be ended. Now, I'm going to just tell you right now that I think Samson was probably the worst Nazarite that ever walked on the face of this earth. He, he didn't seem to take... Remember when I said your, this vow was to be completely committed to God? I don't see Samson doing really any of this. In fact... But what we do see is God had a plan for his life and that God still used Samson. He still used Samson in his life, even though he, he was a knucklehead. Now let's kind of dive into his life and take a closer look at it. And I think what we'll see is there's going to be some similarities between his life and our life. The first thing I want to look at is that Samson, he really seems to be unaware of God's calling on his life. He's unaware of it. He... he it seems to be just the way choices he makes, the things that the life that he lives, he doesn't, he doesn't seem to be a follow this Nazarite rule, this Nazarite vow. He, he's completely unaware that God is using him because it says in there to rescue the Israelites from the Philistines. We don't see in this any of, the, any of this that he's really worshiping God, that he's devoting his life to God, that he's honoring God. We don't really see a lot. In fact, what we see, I think, more of is we see that impulsive behavior. We see that living by emotions and, and really maybe even living by the flesh. And the story starts out by talking about this Philistine woman that he sees. He goes to a town in Phil- in the, with the Philistines, and he sees this woman, and he, he thinks she's beautiful, and he wants to marry her. And he goes to his parents, and he says, go get me this woman. I want to marry this woman. And in fact, in verse 3 of chapter 14, it says, get her for me. She looks good to me. Does that sound like that's really love? Or does that sound like he just goes to the Philistine and goes, oh, that's a pretty girl. And he goes, I'm going to marry her. And just lives by his flesh. That doesn't sound, he's impulsive. Now, the other thing of this is, is that this is a Philistine. Israelites and Philistines don't get together. They don't get along with each other. So how could you go and marry into the enemy? Why would you even want to do that? That doesn't make any sense. But yet in verse 4, it tells us, it says, His father and mother didn't realize that God was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines, who ruled over Israel at the time. I want us to ask us in the room, that do any of us have any enemies? Do you must have anything that we don't want to be associated with? Any of us that, that we just view it as that that's ungodly or a godly person wouldn't have anything to ever do with that? You know, politics is a pretty easy example of that because, as I said, if I took this half of the room and this half of the room, probably we'd have opposing views and one would side with the other and I don't want anything to do with you and then this side, I don't want anything to do with you. Sometimes in different religions, we, we, we have... We view each other as an enemy. We don't want anybody to be associated with them, or we don't want to be there. We don't want to do that. And even organizations. You know, what if I mentioned Planned Parenthood? That's an organization most of us would say, I'm not, I don't want to, I don't even want to come anywhere near that. In fact, I probably want to maybe protest it. I want to want to show how big of an enemy they are. And even people, there's people that we just view as, I, I don't want to be around them. I can't be around them. But there's also situations where, where you might be 
in a job or you might view somebody as that the enemy might even be in charge of you. Like the Philistines were in charge of the Israelites. So they're really kind of dictating your life. An example of this would be is probably kids. Kids, maybe that's how you think of what your parents are. That they just, maybe sometimes are your enemy or parents just think maybe that's how sometimes your kids feel about you. That, and especially when they're teenagers, they, and doesn't it seem when they get closer to 18 years old, you get more of that? You hear that voice of, you know, I'm, I'm almost 18, I'm, a, I'm an adult. So they, they want to rebel, they, wanna, they don't want to do, be around you, they want to they maybe see you as a little bit of an enemy. Now, my point of this is, how many times in our own lives do we see someone as an enemy and we want to avoid them? We don't want to be anything to do with that person, that organization, that company. We, we don't think a godly person shouldn't be around that person. That when maybe, but maybe God is asking us to be associated with that. Whatever it is we see as the enemy, whatever we see as, as against God or against my life, maybe God's asking us to be part of that. Part of that. And what we are is we're really, we're just unaware of what God's plan is. We're just unaware of that. Now, a few months ago, I was talking to a friend of mine, and we were talking about this family that we both knew. We both know. This family's having some problems getting along, and there's a person in the family that really doesn't like, was really reluctant to listen to anything and anybody. Doesn't, thinks everybody's wrong and they're right. And I've had problems with this person, and we're just discussing this and kind of just our hearts are heavy for them and we're just discussing this and we're, we're just talking about it. it's just sad and, and so I we're done with this conversation this person goes to me and he says maybe you're the one that's supposed to go talk to this person and I just said over my dead body that is not going to happen because my last conversation with this person was not good did not end well we don't really talk to each other anymore and that was what I said. I'm not, no way. Not going to happen. But you know what? God started working on my heart. Two days later, God says, I want you to go reach out to this person. I'm like, nah, you're, nope. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go see this Philistine. Well, I went and texted that Philistine. and I can't tell you what that's gonna, how this is going to end. And the person, you know, when I did this, I... I didn't know if he still thinks I'm the enemy. And I'm thinking this, this is going to end up poorly for both of us again. I don't have the end for this story yet. I hope someday I can share the end of this story, and I hope that it's God is just glorified in this. And I would think that, that God being God, even the situation with Samson and the Philistines, God's being God, and we said God is so loving, God is love, and all these wonderful things about God. We would think that, that somehow through Samson marrying this Philistine woman, all these things, that God's going to be God and something great's going to happen. The Philistines' hearts are going to change. There's going to be this miracle. The Israelites are going to turn back to God. The Philistines are going to turn back to God. They're going to start worshiping God and loving God. That'd be a great story, wouldn't it? Be like a Hallmark story. Be like something we'd watch on Sunday afternoons, cable TV, or 2 o'clock in the morning when we can't sleep and there's nothing there. But no, that's not what happened. Not even close. Nothing like that happened in this story. This story is strange. This story is weird. 
doesn't seem like God's plan, but yet it is God's plan. Now, I want to talk about Samson a little bit. How he said he was an awful Nazarite. We see him when there's this process of, because his parents are going to go get this woman for him. So they go down there, and what they see is, is that Na- the, he's a Nazarite, Samson's a Nazarite. He goes through a vineyard. If you're supposed to avoid grapes at all costs, why are you going through a vineyard? That doesn't make any sense. So also while he's in the vineyard, there's a lion that comes and attacks him, and he kills the lion. And so they go to Philistine, and then they go back, and then they have to go back again. And as they're going through, in the carcass of this dead body, there is a, a beehive in there, and there's honey in there. So he reaches in, and he grabs honey out of there and eats it. And then he gives it to his mom and dad, which not only a Nazarite shouldn't be doing that, but any good Israelite wouldn't be eating anything out of a dead body like that. So he's, he just doesn't make sense that he's taking this vow very serious of being a Nazarite. Now, Samson goes through this marriage. They, they go get the woman for him. They make the arrangements. And he's going through the process. It's a seven-day process to be married. And so on the first day he gives the wedding party a riddle. And it's a big wedding party. There's like 30 people in this wedding party. He says, if you can solve this riddle, I'm going to give you fancy robes and fancy clothes, each of you a set of this. Well, they can't figure it out. And they, they threaten his to-be wife, saying, if you don't find the answer for us, we're going to cause harm to you and your family, and we're going to do these things to you. So she begs Samson day after day after day, wanting to know the secret, wanting to know, know what the riddle is. And finally, the last day, he gives in because he's just been bombarded by her day by day, tells her the riddle. She goes and tells the Philistines. The Philistines come back and tell Samson, and then he gets angry. He gets mad. In fact, we see, this is the word it says. It says, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson. Samson goes to a neighboring town, kills 30 Philistines. His bare hands brings, takes their clothing, gives it to the wedding party, and then he's still mad. He's still living in his flesh. He's still impulsive. He's still just all emotional, and he just says, forget this wedding, I'm going home. Goes home with his mom and dad and pouts. Comes to his senses, and then he, he decides to, to go back to get his wife. Well, the, the, we, the father of the bride is saying, well, I've got all this wedding stuff here. We're going to have a wedding. So he gives his daughter to the best man, and they get married. Samson doesn't know this. So Samson, he's going to go back, and he's got, well, i got to get a present for my wife. So Christmas is coming, guys. This is what Samson, he gives her a goat. Allie, you want a goat, don't you? Yeah, see, great present, guys. Way to a woman's heart is a goat. So he brings her this goat. Her dad stops, stops her before he, Samson goes, in the, he goes into her room and says, you, whoa, 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 you can't go in there. Because she's married to someone else now. Well, Samson gets mad again, goes off again, this time he catches 300 foxes, ties their tails together. Can you just picture that? Foxes are kind of they're little snippy little mean, they're mean little critters. And biting it, like that's just, that's a pretty remarkable thing that he did. But then he puts a torch on their tails and he sends them loose and they burn down all the grain fields of the Philistines, destroys all their crops. And he al- it also says that Samson destroyed their, destroyed their vineyards and their olive groves. Now the Philistines are mad. They want to know who did this. 
they find out who did it. They, they go to his, his were supposed to be in-laws and his wife, and they actually burn them and kill them. And they find out Samson did this. They go to the Israelites. They want Samson. Israelites agree to turn him over to him, And <coughs> they do. And so they have Samson, and he's all tied up. He's all bound up, and they're going to do whatever they're going to do to Samson, kill him. And so he breaks the bonds. He sees a donkey jawbone, and he kills a 1,000 of them with a donkey jawbone. Does anybody find that strange? That's a strange story. That is a bizarre story that this is God's plan of how he's going to start rescuing the Israelites from the Philistines. It's, it's not that one where I would think they'd all hug and love each other and love God and just worship God and live happily ever after. It doesn't, it doesn't seem, it's just weird to me. I want us to look at Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I give you this because I want to, we all, God has a plan for all of us. Do you know the plan that God has for you? Have you ever given any thought? what God's plan is for you. And if you do know the plan, or if you've, you've had plans that you've done, has it ever turned out the way you think it should turn out? Has it looked the way you think it should look? Usually doesn't, just like this story. It's not the way I would, it's not the way I would write it. But yet, we see it. We see God's working in this plan. Now, has anybody listened or watched the Supreme Court hearings this week? If anybody spent any time, it, it, it's one of those things I was pulled into this just because I would, I, would, I would listen to him. And it, just, it just amazed me, just listening to this woman speak. And I, I asked her, I go, why would you agree to do this? Why would you agree to put yourself through this? Knowing that the minute you walked in that room, there was about 50% of the people in that room that just hated you. They don't know you. They don't know anything about you. They just don't like you. And they were going to ask you questions after question after question, trying to get you to trip, trying to get you to say something that you would mess up so that then they can use that against you and just destroy you, destroy your life almost. But yet, that's what she did. I, don't, I just wonder why. But... Then I thought, well, maybe that's the good work that God has prepared for her. Maybe that's the work that God has asked her to do, that she's willing to leave the happy, comfortable life that she has. She's willing to, to let her entire life be examined. She's willing to have it put her in the microscope, have harmful things said about her, maybe even have lies said about her, even things about her family talked about that aren't true, and jeopardizing even just her family life. And she did it because maybe that was the plan God had for her life. Now, again, it's not something that, that's not how I would do it. That's not what I would want. But maybe God's good work for us isn't the way I would do it. It's the way God would do it. And usually I think we would say, doesn't it usually get messy? Isn't there usually difficulties? And we, he asks us to do things that we don't want to do. This good work that God prepared for us in advance might require us 
just like this lady, to enter into the world of really kind of an enemy. Put yourself at the mercy of the enemy. To, to go to them. To not just sit outside, like I brought up Planned Parenthood, and think of we go outside and we, we, we protest or we do things rather than walking into the door and following the plan that God has for our lives. Now, I don't see God asking us to grab a donkey jawbone and kill a thousand people. I don't think that's part of his plan of what he's going to ask us to do. But I think what he might be asking us to do is to be involved in the life of somebody that we don't agree with. Maybe somebody that we see as an enemy. Somebody that has an opposing point of view from us. Somebody that doesn't have the same thoughts that I have. And I wonder, is that even possible in this world anymore? Can I disagree with somebody and we both get along? We can, but this world doesn't seem like that anymore. But it is. We can. It is. In fact, I think that's what God wants us to do, to do his good work that he has for us. Not just be around everybody that's all the same. Now, something that happened also this week in these Senate hearings, again, I don't know, maybe people didn't even see this. I, it, just, it was a really small thing that I saw, but Diane Feinstein, I think that's her name. She's the representative from California. She's like 88 years old. I mean, she's old. She's been there forever. She, she does not, she, she really doesn't like this woman. She doesn't like any Republicans either. But yet what we see is, at the end of the, this, the hearing part of it is, she praises Lindsey Graham, says nice things to him, thanks him for saying, this was this like almost like this was this was very civil. Didn't get out of hand. Just you did a good job. Thank you. And then she gets up, goes over and hugs him. They wanted to crucify her for doing that. But I look at that, and who knows? Maybe this was part of this good work that was started. We don't understand it. We're just unaware of what God is up to. But maybe there's something there of this good work. And we're just unaware of God's calling. Now, Samson, next thing we see is Samson. He's just killed these thousand people with this jawbone. And now he's boasting. He's boasting about it. He says, with this jawbone of a donkey, I've piled them in heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. Doesn't sound like he's giving God any credit there or anything. It sounds like this, this is all me. Because I did this. And then he goes to God. He's so bold and so so he just demands us of God. He says, you have accomplished this great victory by the strength of your servant. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of these pagans? For some reason, God then still gives him water. Makes some water, comes out of a rock, and, you, and, the, and Samson gets something to drink. There was one thing in this that I noticed. He did say that he was God's servant. So maybe somewhere in this whole thing of Samson, there, there was some sort of a awareness of God. There was some sort of, of appreciation for God. But when I read this, I also think that I, what I see is that Samson is taking God for granted. He's taking him for granted. He doesn't seem to really have a relationship with them. Maybe he's aware that he's there now. He's aware of his presence. But something throughout this, this, this story, as we'll read, it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. Chapter 13, it says, The Spirit of the Lord began to stir him when he was little. When he killed the lion, when he killed the 30 men, when he 
he, he killed the, peop- the thousand people, the donkey Jabu, and it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Yet he's boasting now of what he did and even demanding God to give him some water. So did Samson think that this great power that he had, this great strength that he had, that it came from him? Maybe, maybe he thought that, well, maybe it was the hair. It is the hair. That's what's doing it. Or maybe he just failed to recognize that it was God's spirit coming upon him, that it was God's spirit that was giving him the superhero powers, that he was failing to give God the credit that he deserved, that he was really just taking God for granted. Now, chapter 16 is where we start to see Samson's life really unravel. Chapter 16 all of these, this impulsive behavior, this emotional behavior, this acting of the flesh, it catches up with him now. And Samson spends the night with the prostitute. Philistines discover this thing, oh, we're going to capture him in the morning, and he gets up in the middle of the night, lifts the, the gate off of the, the, its supports and carries the gate a long, long ways and, and escapes. But then also this is where we meet Delilah. Delilah, who would be the final failure of or one of the final failures of Samson and Damson falls in love with him and a lot of trouble comes from this relationship and the Philistines see that he has this relationship with Delilah and they go to Delilah and they offer a lot of money if they find this the secret to his strength so as with his if you remember back the story of his to be wife she pestered him all the time badgered him to get the answer. This is what Delilah's doing to him. And we're going to see that, once again, Samson's going to be betrayed by a woman. You would, you would think that he would figure this out when he started to see the repeat pattern, but he's not. He's, he's pretty thick-headed. Like I said, he's a knucklehead. He's not a very quick learner, which I'll say I fall into that category too. I fall into that of, of God's got to show me things lots and lots of times before I finally get it. So, see, my life's not much different than Samson's. Now, Samson finally, after many failed attempts by Delilah and many lies by Samson, she actually gets the real secret out of him about his hair. He reveals the hair. If his hair is cut, that that his strength will leave him. But Samson is unaware of that. He's unaware of that. The Philistines come in, cut his hair, and this is what Samson says, because he just assumes that I still have my strength. He says, I will do as before and shake myself free. So I think he just, he's taking God for granted. And he just didn't even realize it. And this is what the story says. It even says he didn't realize it. It says, but he didn't realize that the Lord had left him. Was he so far away from God because he took him from granted that he didn't even realize that God had left him, that that strength had left him. Now, the Philistines, as I said, come in, they capture Samson, they bind him up, they gouge out his eyes, they take him away, and they put him in prison to grind grain. So you read that, and I think, well, maybe it was the hair after all. Maybe it really was the hair. But honestly, look at our lives. Has our lives, have we ever been in a situation where you're just comfortable in life? Like, Samson was probably comfortable in his life because he was strong, he was, people feared him, did what he wanted to do. In our lives, we just, we seem to not have any worries. Maybe we've got a good job or we don't need a job or just, just things are going really well. I don't, 
necessarily need God. I take him for granted. I just take him for granted that it's, it's always going to be there. God's always going to be there, which he is. But I don't really follow. I don't live the way that, that God wants me to live. You, you start to spend less and less time with God, less and less time with him. We, we start, when we do that, we start to maybe, like Samson, make questionable choices. Things that maybe I want, that my flesh wants, my emotion wants, my impulsive behavior wants, but not the things that God might want for me. And then we have things happen. Remember when I said the first thing this morning about storms come? Storms will come. What about this COVID storm we have going on right now? Nobody expected this. Nobody expected it to still be going on. And even actually right now, it's, it's, we're here in Billings, Montana. It's worse than ever. But we have these things that come on like that. that we're, well, my job isn't so secure anymore. My life isn't so secure anymore. I might not have a job. I might not have all of this comfort that I thought I had. I may not be able to live these choices that I wanted to do. And I don't have a backup plan. And I took God for granted, and he's not my strength anymore. That we fail to see that our strength is from God, that we follow our own path, and we're getting our strength from ourselves. And we started to live life apart from God, and that we're, we were making bad decisions. And then usually trouble comes when that happens. Trouble comes. And we look at Samson's life, and sure enough, trouble came. Trouble came to Samson and kind of followed him around. And as I said, chapter 16 was kind of the climax of that. I mean, how worse can you get if you lose your eyes and you're, you're bound and you're put in prison? He, he lived this reckless life. Now, I said, remember that part of being a Nazarite. If you're, you're, you're committed, you're dedicated to God. You're devoted to God. It doesn't seem like his life was really looked like one that was devoted to God. He didn't make life choices that honored that vow. He took God for granted, relying on his strength. That he felt either maybe came from his hair or maybe it was himself. But eventually these choices caught up with him, didn't they? These choices caught up with him and he had consequences. So I'm going to ask us, how have, how have we been living our lives? How have we been living our lives? Are, are, is there maybe something we're taking God for granted about? that maybe we're aware, but we just, we take God for granted. We don't, we don't live our lives in such a way that God would want us to live. And if you are, if there's something right now, God's like just giving you something or the Spirit's just giving you something, I'm just going to challenge you to say, just stop it. Just stop whatever it is that God's revealing to you. Just stop. Now, I want to read this, this verse, these verses out of Hebrews. It comes out of Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We don't have time to go into it all, but I just want to read it. I want it just to sink in a little bit. Just let God work in it. it. It says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? So I'm just going to leave this part of just don't take God for granted. Don't take him for granted. Now, Samson, as I said, now is a prisoner. He's a prisoner and now he's out of options. 
He's out of options. He's, he's, what more could happen to him in his life? He's blind. His hair is starting to grow back, it tells us. And the Philistines, they want to have this big party because now they've captured Samson. So they want to have this big party to, to praise their gods, to say, look what our gods did for us. Our gods gave us Samson. And so they figure, what better way to do this than let's bring Samson out and we're going to make fun of him. We're going to mock him. So they do that. The servant brings him out, and Samson says, will you put my hands on the pillars that are holding up this temple that they're in? So the servant puts his, his he's holding himself up on these, te- this, these, these temple pillars, and this is what Samson says. Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh, God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. So we see Samson crying out to God now. He's out of options. He's saying, God, remember me. So maybe Samson always had or he grew or something happened in his heart that he grew this respect for God, that he had this relationship with him. Maybe his life is kind of similar to ours. We have these times where we just kind of, we know God's there, but we're not that close to him. We're just unaware of God in our lives, but he is there. He's there all the time. Psalm 46.1 tells us, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Samson called on him and he was there. We, he's there for us when we have times of trouble. Maybe when we take God for granted doing what I want to do, and I thought of this as, this is, we try to outbad God. And what I mean by that is, we know God is there, we know he's present, but I try to live my life almost as bad as I can be and see how bad I can be before God says enough. And like Samson, we have these consequences that we, we try to live the life that we live. But yet, even in this, God still has a plan. God's still working the plan like he did with Samson. And there's times also when we run out of options. We run out of options and we call on God to find to find he is there. God is there. Now, the story of Samson, if we all think of him as a hero, don't we? We all probably, and we read our kids' our kids' books, and we read about Samson, we see him as a hero, but I look at this guy's lifestyle, and I go, this dude, this dude isn't very much of a hero. Well, it's not how I want my child to grow up and live. And I thought of this movie, Hancock. I don't know if anybody's seen that movie. It's with Will Smith. It's an old movie. But in that, Will Smith has all these superhero powers, but he lives a life of a drunk and uh, smokes and does his lifestyle. Is a hor- well, it's a lot like Samson's. It's not, it's not how a superhero should act. But then I think, how is it any different than my life? There's lots of things where I live a life that it doesn't, it doesn't look like it's a hero. In fact, do we even realize that we, we are heroes? God has a, remember that verse in Ephesians, God has a plan for us? He's got a plan and it's made in advance. So we're all, we're all really superheroes. We're all superheroes and there's a superhero work that God has for us. The ending of, of this story, Samson is, is, it tells us that Samson judged Israel for 20 years. And if you remember I said at the beginning of this story, it said this plan was for 
him to begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. I don't understand how that, I, I don't get that. Like, I, I'm going to say, I, I, just don't, I don't understand how this started that work by killing a bunch of people, by killing more people, by knocking the temple down and killing all the people and killing himself, how that started that work of freeing the Israelites from the Philistines. If anything, that would just make them more angry. And, but yet it did. It's a process, God. Like, I don't understand that part. But there's this, also this verse in Hebrews that I'm going to share with you, which also adds some complication to this whole story. Because of, the, like I said, I, Samson was a pretty bad Nazarite. But listen to these words in Hebrews. It says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, David, Samuel, and the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouth of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. How is Samson in this list? I don't, I don't see Samson as having this being this great man of faith. If I read about his life, I don't, I don't see this. But yet, here he is on this list, saying he had faith. What I do see is, if you look at the lives of every one of those people, they all had faults. They all had doubts. They all had issues. I have issues. I have doubts. I have faults. All of us have those. None of us are perfect. But however, if we have faith, if we have faith through God, faith in God, if we have faith in the, in the work that Jesus did on the cross, that this, what this author of Hebrews is saying about Samson, that we can be on this list. We can be on this list of faith. And let's look at this verse in Ephesians again. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. He was created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. Everyone is God's masterpiece. Now, a masterpiece is, is your greatest work. I read that and I think, we're God's greatest work. All of us. And and it's not just for these Old Testament people, these Old Testament people that we read about and that God has these big plans for. It's every single one of us. Everyone has something amazing that God has planned for us. We just, we may not realize it. Maybe we didn't acknowledge God yet. Maybe we're just unaware. We're unaware of God or we're unaware of God's calling in my life. Maybe we are aware of God. But maybe we've, we've, taking God for granted. We started to live a life where maybe like Samson, where we, we just try to see how bad we can be. That we, we do what I want to do. We do what the flesh wants us to do. And what we see, though, is that God's still working in our lives. God's still working there. But I wonder, imagine if we stopped running away from God, stopped being, trying to outbat him. What if we just turned around and ran towards God and embraced his plan for whatever, however that looks? We just embrace it. Now, you also might feel that you're out of options, like Samson was. So maybe what, a, what better time than now to just cry out to God, to call out to God. Let him give you the strength that you need. Acknowledge him. 
So trust me, it wasn't the hair. It's not the hair. It's God. It's God, and it was God. The plan is the. It's a plan that He had for Samson's life. It's a plan that He has for your life. So we just need to accept that. Accept it. Have faith, and let God turn your weakness into strength, like God did with Samson. Because if you think about it, Samson's flesh was really weak. But that flesh, he, he used that weakness of his flesh to make him strong. And he still did God's work. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you that we can look at the stories of, of these, these characters, Lord, of just and to grow closer to you and to learn more about you and to, to see how you are in our lives, Lord. Um, just help us to be aware of you, aware of your calling for our lives, Lord. Help us to not take you for granted. And if, if we are at a place, Lord, where we need to cry out to you, Lord, that, that we do cry out to you, that if we're out of options, Lord, that we, we, we don't look for answers anywhere else, Lord, that we do cry out to you. Now, if there's somebody in this room right now that, that maybe 